This is an ABC podcast. This is Stories from the Pacific with Bobby McCumber on ABC Radio Australia. Hi, welcome to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber. From sports people to farmers, activists to entrepreneurs, each week on Stories from the Pacific, you'll meet an extraordinary Pacific Islander. Today, let me introduce you to Andrew Kuliniasi. When Andrew was a little boy, one of his very few safe places was curled up next to his grandma on the living room floor. Bubunana, as he refers to her, has been by his side ever since. School was tough. He was bullied most days for being different. It was writing that eventually gave Andrew the creative outlet that he craved. He wrote his first play at just 15. He's now in his early 20s and he's gone on to write many more. The award-winning playwright and theatre director at the Moresby Arts Theatre joins me now. And a warning, this episode discusses sexual abuse, which some listeners may find distressing. Welcome, Andrew. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. Thanks so much for being with us today. Um, Andrew, why did you sleep next to your bubble nana when you were a child? Firstly, it's a really big house, so there's a lot of people. Um, by big house, I mean there's a lot of people that live with us um, in my grandparents' place. But also I think, like, there's a certain safety next to my nana. And I still sleep outside in the living room with her. But, um, yeah, just just a bit further away. But I can always just hear her, you know, breathing or go over to check up on her. And she does the same with me. So it's nice. It's comforting. It's a, it's a nice place of comfort. What exactly do you love about your bubunana? Oh, my grandma. My bubunana is like the best. My bubunana was probably, is probably the only person that has said if you want the big dream, if you want the Oscar, if you want the Hollywood movie, if you want to go and write plays and be an actor, you can do it. And she's really fueled a lot of my artistic and and my writing in terms of not only the inspiration, but also in the craft of it. She's very artistic herself. She's always singing in the morning. And so being around a person like that, especially, you know, looking up, to her and having her for guidance has been a big thing for my career. Like every time I have a project, we always talk about it. And she's such a great listener, but also such a great place to draw inspiration from. And yeah, it's just, she's so important to me. Mm. What's it like growing up with such a big family around you? Uh, I guess it, it it's it's a bit of a fight for privacy. I mean, especially once I reached my teens, I'm like, I don't want to sleep in the living room anymore <laughs> but then if I went to any other room it'll be like oh but I have to share a room no thank you um but um I, it's it's this it's this weird thing of um I guess you're always sharing space and you have to acknowledge that you're always sharing space and that that's what I find is also brilliant and that I liken to theatre because everyone has their role to play. Mm. You had some health issues growing up being diagnosed with rheumatic heart disease and diabetes. What effect does that have on your childhood? 
Um, you always become, I guess, the um, the favorite child, if you will, or the precious <laughs> child. You become the precious child. It's like, no, he's not supposed to do that. Um, but I'll give him ice cream anyway. <laughs> you know, um, you, I, um, my grandparents are, are lovely. And my grandfather, my boo daddy, he always tells me the story of how when I was in the hospital, when I was diagnosed with rheumatic heart disease, he ran the house like it was uh, a military base. He'd be like, Andrew needs this and this every morning and it has to go at this time. And he'd work like that. And it, it puts a lot of things into perspective, having a sick child. And I'm... I just get spoiled. <laughs> I just get painted mm. a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, so precious, precious and fragile, but I, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you were very close with your grandparents. Growing up, what was your relationship like with your father? My dad and I, I'd say we have a very, um, it's it's an interesting type of relationship because I think, and so my dad and I really had to learn how to be father and son, um, mm. especially once I got into the teens. And um, also, he's in rugby. Like, he, <laughs> he's, he's, he, he does rugby and sports, and I'm a sportsless person. I don't like playing sport, and also with, you know, my various physical conditions and health conditions, I can't play sport. And so it, it's it's been a struggle, I guess, but we're in a place now where we have open dialogue and I think we're really trying to get to know each other and understand what type of people we are because we've, we've essentially grown up or I've essentially grown up looking at my grandparents as my parents. Yeah. Now, home wasn't always a happy place for you, was it? No, unfortunately not. I think, you know, um, one of the biggest things that happened to me was that my grandparents, lovely people that they are, they adopted and took care of a lot of uh, children that weren't their children. And one of these particular people... Um, ended up sexually abusing me for like six years. I was eight, it was from when I was eight till I was 12. Actually, I'd say that was four, mm. but he, but he would message me as well as I got older. And yeah, it was, it was pretty hard because I guess when you're kept in a certain type of culture, of silence, like I was talking about with my parents and their divorce, you know, a lot of things go unsaid. And I felt that same culture um, with this as well. It was hard for me to speak up and talk about it. And eventually when I did, people didn't know how to deal with it. So, yeah. That was one of the biggest things that really, I think, happened to me, that really affected me um, growing up. Who did you tell about the abuse? I was able to tell um, my stepmom, who then went on to 
just she didn't know what to do and love lovely lady that she is like that had never that had never it had never occurred to anyone that that was happening so when I did come out when I did say it when I did show them evidence it was hard for everybody to process and so I told my stepmom and she told other members of the family, but people didn't know what to do. And then eventually um, everybody found out and I told everybody and there was this sort of like, okay, what do we do? But at that point where I had told everybody, I had healed. I had dealt with it myself. Um, and I just wanted it to be out there so that to show that actually I've dealt with it. I'm done with it. This trauma now doesn't define me. Here you go. You get to deal with it. You get to deal with not knowing um, or not knowing how to deal with it. And I feel like now we can have certain conversations around that, that make it so much better for my family and, and ease up a lot of that burden. There was also a teacher that was supportive, is that right? Yeah. So my when I was in year uh eight, my my PD and PE teacher, Mrs. Sapea, wonderful lady, she's passed on. Um she noticed everything that was wrong and was able to tell me that I could talk about it and not be weak. And I think a lot of us in Pacific Island nations, especially for men, we grow up hearing that you don't cry, you don't talk about your problems. Um, and that something like sexual abuse uh, to a man or even to a child, if, if you are sexual abused, that doesn't happen. Or, you know, you've you've done something to trigger that. And she really sat me down and said, hey, I know something is wrong, but you and who you are is totally okay. You and who you are is loved and and is beautiful. But we need to address this problem. And at that time, um, my abuser had been messaging me uh, over you know, the phone and just harassing me. And we were able to stop the abuse and and then, of course, you know, tell the family. What impact did your teacher's response have on you, just being there to support you? She really just showed me that there were people that could listen, there are people that could relate, um, but also that my story is and my voice is valid, that what I have to say is valid. And I think when you, that there's benefits in growing up with, in a big home with a lot of people, but some of, some of the disadvantages are that your voice could be drowned out. And I did feel like my voice was drowned out just a little bit. You know, you could, if you're a child, like growing up in a Pacific community, you may not have the voice 
or people would look down on you because you're you are a child you know what what do you know and I think she really validated my voice when I was finding when I was trying to find it she validated that I had a voice and that my voice should and could be heard and respected and 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 that was something that really drove me into the type of storytelling that I do today you mentioned that you're still living in the house that you grew up in. Is it difficult to live there now, knowing what had happened to you? It was. It was at first. And better memories replace bad ones. And I have too many good memories in this house with my nana when we sing and dance in the living room and the spaces, uh, with my siblings, with my stepmom and my dad and my aunties and uncles. I have too many good memories in this house that they drown out abuse. They drown out negativity. And it used to be really bad. It used to be sleepless nights where I'd claw my face out with my fingernails. And now I don't do that anymore because there's so much good in the world and there's so much good in my family that I'm able to see, that I'm able to respect, that make up for a lot of the shortcomings, but also a lot of the hurt that's in my house. I've like, I've washed that away. I, every time I walk into a room, I reclaim my power. It's it's the fact that my abuse doesn't have power over me anymore. You're listening to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber and I'm speaking with playwright and theatre director Andrew Kuliniasi. Andrew, school was pretty tough for you as well. Mm-hmm. You were bullied. What happened? Yes. So I was bullied for most of my schooling. Um, As you imagine, I sound like a 12-year-old girl (laughs) or (laughs) somewhere in that, like even now, and I'm 23, it's so, it's weird, you know, like I'm I'm effeminate, I have a high-pitched voice, people bullied me nonstop. And I really just, it, it came to a point where I was like, actually, I have my voice, you know, it is what it is. People people can't hurt me anymore with things like that, it, it, with superficial things like that. And so having been bullied, you try to protect your space and your sanity enough that you don't think that everyone and everything is against you. Um, and it's really challenging sometimes when you live in a country like PNG that's very homophobic, that has very strict principles or thinking or ideas of how men should behave or boys should behave. That when you get to like, when you find an anomaly, like me, if you will, call me an anomaly, I don't know. But if you find someone like me, that's just a bit different. People attack like nobody's business. Um, mm. I still like even like walking down the street, just get side eyes or looks or, you know, slurs called out at me. And it's like, 
this doesn't hurt me anymore, but it shows a lot of problems with the people that do throw those stones, with the people that do say those stuff. It's like, hmm, what is your problem and why are you affected by me just walking down the street? Did you manage to find any sort of refuge at school? A lot of my refuge in school was with teachers. Um, I could always really rely on a teacher to speak up for me and protect me. But I think most of where I found my strength wasn't in school. It was at the Mosby Arts Theatre. And so I started doing theatre very early on at the Mosby Arts Theatre, where, you know, I was exposed to a lot of Shakespeare, a lot of drama and good drama in the sense of like it being on stage. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it was so safe there and people didn't judge and I could get up on stage and perform and be entertaining genuinely. And that was where my safe space was. And for a long time, like I thought that it was me wearing a mask to go on stage, putting on a character. But really, I was exercising facets of my personality through these characters that really made me grow, that really made me have a lot of strength. And so, yeah, I was that was my safe space. And so moving into directing my first show and writing my first show, doing that at the Mosby Arts Theatre was very important for me but also a big step towards my career and becoming an artist. You wrote your first play when you were just 16 years old, May Soga. What was that about? Yes. So May Soga was an ancestral story from my grandfather's clan, the May Soga clan. And it's about how the clan originated and came to be on the island of Misima in Milimbe province. And it was really this story of a young girl who has to basically become the matriarch or the queen of the clan and how she just went full on Game of Thrones style Daenerys Targaryen <laughs> on the whole, like on this journey, on this crusade just to protect her people and just to survive in a world that's really brutal. Take me back to the opening night. What was it like to watch May Soga for the first time in front of an audience? It was amazing because I could see people react to my voice. I could see people react to my words, to my storytelling. And watching an audience member cry or laugh or get angry uh, or get scared during the show was something that getting that reaction was just so empowering. It was like, yes, I wrote the story. I'm telling the story. And now it's affecting people. Now it's now it's it's speaking to them in a way that I really couldn't, you know, like I. I felt like I never really had a voice and in theatre I was finding my voice. And so that opening night, every time someone delivered a line that I that I knew it was like, you know, that was perfect or, or you know, 
that impacted or got a reaction, I was like, yes, that was me. Good job. (laughs) And, And it was very empowering. I felt very empowered. You're not afraid to tackle serious issues in your plays. You talk about HIV, uh, discrimination against the LGBTQ plus community and also gender-based violence. Why is it so important to talk about these issues? It's important to talk about these issues because I believe, or my philosophy with theatre and and drama is that theatre is holding up a mirror to society and showing them the problems that they have, showing them the reality of of their situation. So when I do, a lot of people think that theater and drama and acting is pretend, it's make-believe, but it's not. Everything is grounded in truth. And if I'm going to use my storytelling for anything, it will be to tell the truth Maybe not your truth as, you know, a person who like is straight, maybe not the truth of somebody who hasn't been bullied or who is a bully themselves, but I'm going to tell a truth to the most authentic that it can be so that people can see and empathize with people that they don't know. In my plays, you're going to meet so many different characters that you won't have in your living room. And so I think that it's very important when people are experiencing those plays because they are experiencing truth. You've described theatre as your safe place. Is it also a safe place for issues that are generally considered taboo? I'd say it's a safe space in the the sense that theatre has a magical way of disarming people. Through entertainment or through theater, having the ability to disarm someone when they come to sit down, whether it's through a joke, whether it's through, you know, just the mannerisms of a character, to really make them comfortable to then receive the message. And that's why I think that it's such an important tool to use. Um, And do I think that it's safe? I'd say that, you know, like, I've had instances with plays where I'm thinking, oh, is this going to rattle some people? And the, and it does. But the thing about theatre is because of that structure, that formal sort of setting of you coming in, sitting down and expecting to watch a show, you do lower your guard a bit and you have a captive audience, if you will. In a movie, you can turn something off. On television, you can turn something off. I don't want to watch that. When you're there at the theater and you've seated and the show starts, well, you're there. And if you choose to walk out, you get self-conscious because what if somebody is watching you? If you laugh at a certain moment that may be inappropriate, you get self-conscious because you go, oh, I gave myself away. And so that's why I think theater works to talk about touchy issues or taboo issues because people will genuinely just sit there and absorb because they're they're in that space they're in that firstly that structure but also if you do it really well and you disarm them a bit and you grab them by by with the story and with the elements of the story 
then you can get the message across without, you know, total uproar, if you will. And I haven't had people throw anything on stage yet. So, <laughs> so we're good. We're good. <laughs> How has the community responded to your plays? I think when I first did Here's Victor, there were a lot of, um, there are a lot of threats. There are a lot of, um, there were just a lot of just, just negativity surrounding the subject matter, not only because it was dealing with HIV, it was also because of uh, the element of LGBTQ plus uh, discrimination and and having a, a gay character on stage. And so people were very like, oh, we don't, we don't want to see that. Um, but mostly the people that have come have been able to sit and have conversations with me if they don't agree with it, which is what I really like. It's, it's being able to, hey, I have this view. I don't agree with what you put out but I can talk about it. I, I don't need to fight. I don't need to hate. I can express a viewpoint. And what I try to do in all my plays is have a balanced viewpoint, even though personally I have certain beliefs. I believe that hearing from the entire spectrum, at the end of the day, it's about empathy and putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. So if I can express these different beliefs, but still express that people can get along and people can be human and genuine to each other. It helps. What about your family? How have they responded to your plays? They, hmm, this is a tough question. <laughs> um, my family, I think, recently have been very responsive. They've come along, they've watched all the shows. Um, but I also think that at first it was, ooh, how much of this is conversation that he has heard within our own family. And Viola Davis says this best, actors are thieves of life. And for me, it's like, oh, well, I'm a writer. I'm a thief of life. I'm going to look at something and look at a situation and talk about it. Um, so I've had a lot of conversations with my family about the, the work that I put out. And they're very supportive of my dream. Nobody is more supportive than my grandma, <laughs> but they're very supportive of my dreams and my, and my passions. And it's always, it's always so nice to, after a play, come back and then have a conversation about it, have a talk and have a chat about what we thought. And, and sometimes I will get disagreeing or disapproving, like, um, ideas, right, from what I've put out, but it's always talked about because it's disarmed them. They're not, we're not arguing about it anymore. They've been entertained. They've sat through the one hour of it. So now we get to really dissect it and, and not only talk about the issues in the show, but then talk about the show itself and the performances. So, yeah. Mm. You're only 23, but you have written and directed many plays already. What are you hoping to achieve next? Next, I would like to really take the plays on tour, one of them at least, and, and do a national tour, but also an international tour, maybe to Australia, maybe to other Pacific Islands. 
Um, but also my big goal is the Academy Award. <laughs> my big goal <laughs> is the Oscar. And I'm working tirelessly towards that and trying to find ways and means in which I can not only do my work and, and put out work, but also just be the first Papua New Guinean storyteller to achieve that honor and I to achieve that award. And I I really I really believe that I can. And so every single little show or every single acting role that I land or job that I land as a creative is just steps towards that goal. Well, I wish you all the luck in the world, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining me from Port Moresby. Thank you so much for having me. That was Andrew Kuluniasi. This is Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber, and thanks for being with me today. If you know someone whose story you'd like to hear, you can email storiesfromthepacific at abc.net.au. And to catch more great stories about incredible people from the Pacific, just search for ABC Pacific. Pacific.